Hello. Hi. Hey. Hey. How's how's everybody? Um, running slow and empty right now on fumes. <laughs> but thank you for joining me. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very yep. good. Very okay, well. good. Um, and this won't be a too long of a, a podcast and uh, we're still waiting on Amanda but um, <clears throat> if you guys want to do little mini introductions let everybody know who's listening that's new and uh, we'll get started okay um, do you want, want me to go first sure love that hi uh, my name is Donna Dorans I'm an occupational therapist uh, I'm retired and mm-hmm. I worked for 40 years as an OT in many different areas, including hands, geriatrics, um, schools, so, and dabble, uh, low vision. So I've sort of been around the block a few times, um, loved being an OT, but also love being retired. Oh, oh I bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get there. I know, I know. But anyways, uh, VJ, please introduce yourself. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm VJ Mooney. I'm a new grad OT with six months of experience. Um, I'm an OT specializing in hand therapy. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, thanks for me for letting me be on the podcast. My pleasure. I, um, you know, and I said in other podcasts before that I think we all need to collaborate together, new grads, veterans, people who've been retired. Um, it's the only way that I feel like change can happen in our profession. And um, we all really can learn from each other. So, um, you know, I, I have been really uh, using our um, podcast and also the OT advocacy group that we have on Facebook. So anybody new, I hope you guys find the OT advocacy group. Um, and, um, you know, please, you know, join us because we really want to, you know, change kind of like the face of and the value of occupational therapy. And I hope you guys you know, agree with me. But um, yeah. And I want us to broaden our horizon and, and use the practice framework in a, a more broader creative way. So with that, uh, let's see, I think Amanda, she said she's on her way. So we'll just go ahead and get started. And the topic that I wanted to talk about is how OTs can help um, the prison system and um, educating people who've been um, um, either exonerated and or who uh, were in the prison system for it doesn't matter how long it could be a month to 10 years it just um, basically depends on how it has impacted their abilities to be functional in their everyday life so has anybody had any experience with ex-cons or people who've been incarcerated or <clears throat> Just our talk with uh, your friend was uh-huh. very uh, enlightening, that's for sure. So what did you get out of it? it? And it definitely was. He was amazing. Oh, my God. 
Well, first of all, it's a very broken system. And mm-hmm. the fact that um, at least where he was in California, I guess it was a private jail. And mm-hmm. they, sort of like the uh, therapy world, uh, the jail's a business, and they, which I would have never known. And they make money on the prisoners being there. So when they get out, there is no incentive to help them get jobs or, you know, just stay out, which was a total shock. Oh, my God. I just never thought of it that way. I always thought that they tried to help rehab them. You know, the probation officer, you know, tried to help them if they were motivated. So that was just so eye opening. That's terrible. And they, <laughs> they, they really need somebody to help them rehab, you know, get job, you know, look for, you know, even just to help them. Um, how to apply for a job, how to, you know, get an interview, how to, um, you know, get job skills, where to look. I mean, just so much that they could use that, as you had mentioned, that OT could benefit, you know, because that's our area, you know, IEDL. So, um, yeah, but yeah, it was very shocking. I was like, oh, my God. So I don't know if it's like that everywhere else, but um, if it's like that in California, it must be like that in other states, too, I would think. yeah. Uh, I, uh, California, definitely. And I, you know, I'm pretty, lack of a better word, ignorant or just not as educated with the prison system as I would love to be. He, when I met this guy, we'll call him M. Um, he's not here. And uh, unfortunately, I wish, you know, he was part of this podcast, but, but he taught me a lot. And I respect this man very much for everything, the little bit that he taught me. And, um, <clears throat> You know, he beat the system and um, I couldn't be more. I respect this guy for opening up and letting me know that someone like us can make, you know, leaps and bounds of changes with people who have been um, kind of beaten down from the system. So, you know, just a little bit that he told us. You know, that it was really more, um, there were not only the vocational and the IADL piece, but it was also like, you know, um, sensory issues that he would have and um, even um, psychosomatic mental health was a big part of it too that he talked about. So let's see, I'm trying to look up the practice framework right now. I couldn't find it. So there's a lot of things that we can do for the prison system, but as I was speaking to, because originally I wanted to get in on that and help out, um, and, and help out the ex-cons who got out of prison and wanted to at least do something better and, you know, gain skills to get lawful employment. But from my research and talking to other organizations with, who do help prisoners who do get out and obtain employment, they're not hiring OTs, they're hiring social workers, psychologists, and so many other disciplines. And then when I talked about all the different skills OTs can bring, such as vocational skills, sensory, um, you know, IADLs, community management and stuff, and they're saying, no, we don't need an OT for that because our social workers are doing it, our our psychologists are doing it. We have this profession doing it, that profession doing it. Why should we hire an OT when we have all these other professions doing everything? And it was hard to answer that question because they, or it, it didn't seem like 
the organizations I spoke to were interested in OT's role. They were just more concerned of, well, we already have the people who do this, so we don't really need you and not really looking forward to having a more of a discussion with it. So one of the things, okay, so like the fact that other uh, disciplines are kind of trumping over our skill set is I think one of the biggest problems that we face as OTs in just in America alone, um, because we are well qualified to work with all of that. And, um, and to me, social workers really should, I feel like consult and or co-treat with OTs when it comes to these, uh, you know, deficits that they face. But I do, uh, another thing that I feel like that we um, should fusion and or blend in together is the coaching piece. Because many um, of these people who have been incarcerated also have families, children. They're impacted, you know, relationships are impacted, counseling for marriage and divorce, you know. It's, we can all all of us, this is where I feel like the whole, like, you know, collaboration is lacking in our healthcare system. But um, what else? Yeah, I'm looking here. Client factors is, a, um, is an issue, you know, values, beliefs, spirituality, w- working on social participation, leisure. All of these things are impacted by with people who have been incarcerated for so long. Performance skills, social interaction, that's huge. Uh, performance patterns, I think, is one of the main uh, issues, habits, routines, rituals, and roles. Uh, let's see. I hear background noise. <laughs> um, anything else you guys want to add? Like, how do you feel like we can assess or um, provide, like, treatment goals and provide kind of like an occupational therapy? Uh, how would we, like, what kind of assessments do you think we could use? Um, hmm. That's a hard question. Uh, I mean, I think there are assessments we can use. I'm just trying to think of what they are. Uh, I mean, I think the COPM. What? COPM? And actually, I'm not sure what that is. Being an old OT, I should know. But what is, <laughs> the, I probably know what it is. The COPM is a, is a quality-based um, assessment where it looks at the individuals and like your satisfaction with your performance, your participation in different areas of occupation like self-care. And then mm-hmm. it's, it's more of you as the participant is rating your um, satisfaction with performance of it. And then, you know, you can use it as a pre post. So like before intervention, this is, you know, let's say that you were like, Oh, you're sort of satisfied, not really. And then after the intervention, you're very satisfied with your participation. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I've only used it once in school. <laughs> I have not used it in the clinic. And that's the thing. A lot of these assessments that we have, we don't really utilize. It's like, there's so many out there. Um, And I've used it maybe like twice in my life. And I've been an OT for 11 years. So um, 
those are that's another thing too is kind of figuring out the best type of assessments to get really what they are looking for. Like, do we even have assessments that handle, um, you know, the IADLs as far as like work? We do. Uh, The Coleman Evaluation Living Skills is one. It's a standardized assessment tool. And it's used for um, re-entering into the community. Uh, It was actually used for older Ah. adults. Uh, so that they can live um, independently or as independent as possible when they come back into the community and stuff. And so the Kells, if I remember correctly, it addresses self-care, safety and health, money management, teleportation, uh, sorry, trans- sorry, transportation, um, work, leisure, and I think using a telephone, if I remember correctly. But like even that assessment, that, I have used a Coleman evaluation of living skills, or else known as a Coleman. Yeah, I've used that. That's a very good tool, actually, especially as far as you know, make because you have to uh, make phone calls. Yeah, 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 know. yep, yep. You know, I mean, it, obviously, it, it's a little outdated because it used, um, if I'm not I'm mistaken, you know, use the phone book and all that. But um, you know, you could you you know, could use it with you know a cell phone or yeah. a computer, you know, different. You know, modern options because yeah. yeah, I'm surprised they haven't updated it. But whatever. I mean, they might have. But, I, yeah. I've only used this in school. I have not used this in a clinic. But even then, if I remember correctly, it's used in psychiatric facilities too. Um, mm. Well, yeah, it's good because it says money use, but and you can extend the money use to be able to budget. You know, right? And things like that. You know, under, understanding the financial, all financial management, budgeting, and you know how even understanding how to read a paycheck and you know the whole like taxes and you know understanding what the responsibilities are with finances um because some of these people may you know that come out of jail if they've been in there a long time um may never have really had to deal with that stuff you know so So, they were you know if they were getting their money by you know doing something illegal they obviously weren't getting paychecks and exactly yeah. Well, Amanda just um, stepped in. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Uh-oh. <laughs> Where'd she go? I don't know. Well, anyways, um, Amanda, when she, um, she's probably trying to fix her mic and audio and stuff like that. But There's also another IADL assessment tool that, uh, that we learned about in school. Uh, it's perks of okay. a new grad. <laughs> I mean... Uh, it's another one called exactly. the Lawton IADL scale, and it's it's, so, it's essentially just a scale where patients would self-rate it. Um, you know, they can rate it based on, uh, well, not they don't really self-rate it, but like we as a therapist would do it, and we would score. Uh, so some of the categories were the patient's ability to use a telephone, does laundry, transportation, shopping, uh, food prep, taking their own medication. Um, ability to handle finances and housekeeping and all of these uh, areas is what we can use for community reintegration, especially for prisoners who come out and are uh, seeking employment or at least a place to live because we have to look back at Maslow's hierarchy, right? So we can't really attain work or um, self-actualization without having our basic needs met, which is like food, water, housing. Right. So he also talked about, let's see, I'm kind of looking at my notes here and see what we brushed up on when we talked to him and interviewed him. 
He talked about employment challenges, large crowds, um, sensory anxiety, panic attacks. That was big for him. Um, social participation, vocational skills. Then having a record, um, like difficulties with loans, bank accounts. So all of those, trying to reintegrate, being, um, you know, building credit, all of that stuff. And I feel like assessments should really look at um, teaching people. Once we assess them and all those IADLs and those vocational skills, then um, building all like treatment plans with that. And I feel like that's where social work can come in and psychology, you know, counselors. Um, who else? I'm thinking of drug, you know, parole officers. We should be really like collaborating with all these people. Yeah. I hope you guys agree with oh, me. Oh, 100%. Well, yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, it's um, seems that, you know, they're sort of, they fall through the cracks. I mean, they get out and they don't have, like an OT, we provide a different type of support than a social worker. I mean, a social worker is, okay, do you have a job? Where'd you go, you know, look for a job? You know, like they're more general. I well, guess. One of the... Us, we break things down. So while well, I agree with you, Donna, I, I do think one of the though is the systemic oppression and the systemic racism that's in our society alone because most inmates are of minorities coming out <laughs> of prison they're already at a huge disadvantage just due to their ethnicity or you know pre-existing factors whatever it is both socioeconomic status and as a result of those factors you know they may in the future, they may not be able to attain lawful employment because some employers may see them as a risk factor and such. And, and I'm speaking from my friend's personal experience who's actually in prison, but he went to juvie. And he was telling mm-hmm. me all the issues that came after juvie because he was trying to turn his life around. And he was having such a hard time with that. And I lost touch with him over the last few years. but And, and so I don't know whatever happened of him but i remember at that time he was going through so much and it was just really difficult to change his life around because nobody wanted to believe that he genuinely wanted to change his life around and i think that just comes with society in itself yeah 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 i mean so m um he basically when he talked to me he he knew, I don't know what it was about him, but he just knew it was his parole officer who basically said, if you don't hunker down and get a job, that's the number one thing that we're expecting you to do. I have to take you back to prison. So something in him just lit a fire. He asked his dad, and a lot of people don't have that accessibility, which is family support, right? But he asked his dad for a personal loan, and he said it was about five grand. I think three to five grand, something like that. But he got a uh, like a kind of a an old van, and with help of his you know friends and families, he um, was able to buy supplies to help start build a small business, which was being an auto detailer. He would 
go and start networking. And back in the day, in the late 90s, 2000s, he would um, just pass out flyers. And that's how he started building his clientele. So, but a lot of these, um, you know, people uh, who have been incarcerated for years don't even, they don't know where to start, right? So, uh, it was pretty amazing that he literally just had this will to change his life around. And that's probably one of the biggest things that uh, many of them don't get the... um, get to do is find a support system to have that mindset, you know? So he ended up, uh, he ended up becoming like the small business um, owner. And now he's got like 10 or 12 employees and is, has a very flourishing business. Um, It can happen. You can change your life around, beat the system. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, unfortunately, he's probably more in the minority of people that do succeed, especially the way the system, or at least where he is, you know, where the system is not really wanting to help them. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the scary thing is the system does not want to help them succeed. So, you know, they don't have all the support systems. And, you know, the thing is, I'm thinking, you know, our AOT, you know, our profession needs to branch out you know if the the profession makes an effort to branch out and do other things and promote themselves it maybe it could occur you know i agree uh hey amanda are you there (laughs) hi you made it (laughs) well um so we kind of just started so but i'm happy to uh Thank you for coming and welcome. And I wanted to maybe if you are willing to give a little like introduction for new people that um, listen to um, Out of the Box Solutions. So take it away. So I'm Amanda. I'm an OT in Florida. I'm recently licensed in California and Texas as well. And I'm I'm working on my doctorate at Nova Southeastern University. And that's where I also work full time um, in a program that's specifically for preschool children with autism spectrum disorders. But I'm passionate about like the full spectrum of OT and our value in the community and in the healthcare system at large. So I'm just here to discuss any topics that that we think OT can help with and and I totally agree with, with what you're saying. I think I, when I jumped on to the conversation, I was hearing Donna say that, you know, AOTA could do a little bit more as far as expanding our role and maybe providing some guidance and resources to help practitioners, yeah. you know, branch out into those community services to help some of the reintegration that needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like we, us as OTs, um, should be like collectively um, writing AOTA and our state, you know, Vijay, you're more proficient in all this, you know, do we talk to our local representatives? 
representatives who would be the best people to talk to as far as like expanding our um, profession and other I think it starts with our state and national organization state OT association and AOTA but then besides them and reaching out to them we would have to talk to our local representatives and we would have to say like hey you know I'm an OT this is what I believe in and you know is there something that we can do uh, usually for your state association, there's a political action committee there, uh, and the political action committee will kind of work with your representatives to try to improve OT's, uh, OT scope of practice or um, enhance the, our ability to do different things, right? Uh, so the political action committee for your state um, organization would be a good one, AOTA. And just reach out to your local representatives and just say, you know, I'm an OT. This is what I am passionate about. Is there something we can do to get this to work? And hopefully, if your representative is good, they'll be willing to work with you and not just say yes to get your vote and then forget about you next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that could be a problem. <laughs> For sure. That definitely could be a problem. Um, and Amanda, any... Um, have you had any experiences with someone who's been either incarcerated and, you know, um, not, not professionally, know. but personally I have in my family, I have a okay. couple of family members that have been incarcerated and rehabilitated. Actually, one of my uncles was able to access a program that was organized by a church and it put it was oh. like a workshop program, and they taught him building furniture, and it was just it was just a really great community. And I think that that's what it was. That, and when we look at a lot of the research with addiction, because sometimes that's usually what leads yeah. people to jail, right? There's there's an addiction, and right, we're returning to the streets because there's we need to get substances, and then we get involved in crime, and then now there's there's this whole pipeline, and now we're in, now we're in prison, and we need to get back. Back on right. So when we're looking at some of those things like addiction, it's it's really about isolation. Like people feel isolated and they need to build back their sense of community and their sense of belonging. So a lot of these programs that are more successful, that's when they're able to achieve that. They're able to teach somebody a skill. It's, it's very OT, right? They're able to give them some habits, some routines. They're given a role, yeah. you know, they, they feel mean. There's structure. It's structure. It's basically structure, routine, um, making a good habit stick and a bad habit leave, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And no. go on. Oh, no, go on. Finish. No, 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 no. I, I, I was just going to agree with Amanda. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering, and, and I wish it was a question, of course, I just was thinking of um, after the fact is, can, um, if you know, okay, they expect them to get a job, but can they um, go to school instead, like a trade school, you know, because there's so many trades now, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, there's so many trades that are short people, you know, it's hard to get plumbers and electricians and, yeah. you know, carpet layers, and is there, would, would, um, somebody be able to um, start, you know, a trade program or something, would that suffice instead of getting then a job? My question to um, you then would be, 
if they do, let's say, go to trade school and then they have to paint a certain license, would the fact of them going to be an issue? Because I think when I went for OT school, oh, right yeah, before I could take the NBCOT, there was a question that said, did you ever go to prison? And if so, what was the reason, right? So that can always be yeah. used against you. So then my question, you, you, you know yeah, what I, I mean? Because yeah. it's hard. Once, once a yeah, person's gone I, to prison, the opportunities, unfortunately, are a lot less than somebody who hasn't. And I think it just goes back to that systemic oppression that society just has, right? I mean, it's time that we take second chances I, on people. Not hold them responsible. That's and I, how I, you rehab, you know. And I feel like um, these nonviolent crimes too um, should be looked at differently. So, you know, questions like that on any application. It's honestly on any application. If you were to, um, they should differentiate. You know, violent, nonviolent crimes. And right, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, I, mean, I mean, that would give, first of all, you know, people to get rehab. I mean, that's something, you know, if they were going to go back into like school and look into the, you know, help, as far as therapy, we could help them sort of look into different areas and what skills do they have because we could assess what, what skills do you have? You know, what do you think you'd be good at? Um, but it, yeah, I wonder. I mean, I wonder how that works if if the trades licenses are the same as our licenses, you know? I don't know, because we're working. We're working with people. Though I guess if you're in a trade, you might be going to someone's house. But we're working directly with people as opposed to a trade where you're not, you know, you're not treating patients. So yeah, I wonder how that works. Yeah, and hopefully whoever's listening in on this, you know, can give us some insight. I hope, you know, I was even telling M the the guy that I uh, spoke to, and I was like, you know, you could. He could make a lot of people's lives, like he could change people's lives in an instant if he were to just do a workshop or a seminar with what his story alone. Oh, yeah, because I think a lot of people probably get out of prison and they say, well, there's no use. I'll never, you know, I'll never be able to make something out of myself. Yeah, definitely. You know, so him alone, just having that positive mindset can change somebody's life period oh well yeah to see that somebody like them succeeded because you know you have a little social worker you know talking to you saying oh you know you can do this or that but let's face it you know are they going to listen to somebody like that or are they going to listen to somebody that has been in the same situation yep and i told him i was like you can make even if you were to charge like obviously there would have to be some monetary gain in some way but having maybe like a consultation for free with somebody and then with somebody who's been incarcerated and then charge like even $10 for one class. And there's so many people who can benefit from that. Like nationally. I I think now whatever might be a little bit more difficult with COVID um, happening. So not if it's um, Zoom or not. I mean, a lot of people out there who have smartphones or who have access to it. True, true. true. But I, so, I was actually talking about going into the prison system and having classes. I didn't think about the Zoom aspect of it. That that is true. That's true. That's we're really gonna have to start thinking about how telehealth is going to change 
the way we deliver yep. services. Yeah. It's it's been yeah, something that we use, you know, for rural, you know, places that we couldn't really reach before. And I think now because of COVID, we, we used it for social distancing. But that's yeah, that's a great thing to think about. Like how how were we not using it before? <laughs> and what is it we could well, have? Yeah, you think of elderly people like my my friend's father's in his nineties, right? And first of all he's you know unless it's something important he's seeing his doctors by telehealth so he doesn't have to get get into the car which is really difficult for him he has trouble transferring and you know a lot of medical issues and he, i think he had some physical therapy online too yeah you know which i mean for elderly i think that's wonderful because some of them can't get to outpatient yeah. and some of them don't want somebody to come to their house you know that they're for whatever reason, or there is nobody available to come to their house, but yeah. Oh, for therapy, you know, definitely there's a lot of benefit to therapists um, doing, you know, telehealth. And even in the, in, in the prison system, if they had like, I don't know, like he told me, I'm told me that he actually had jobs. They had chores back then. I don't know what it is now, but he was an x-ray tech. Back then, he also worked in the library over there. So, those are all the things that uh, you know can be. You can do these Zoom telehealth sessions with people who are trying to get back to working, understanding, like you know, doing resume writing online, telehealth wise, doing all these vocational things. Right, right. and it, I think I, I remember when we spoke with Miguel that it's that he said that he was one of the ones that he felt was more of a self-starter. So that was his personality. But then there, there were a lot more individuals that he met in there that that didn't have that personality and they didn't have that insight. So sometimes That's we right. think that, you know, it's just common sense, or, but it, but it's not. Common sense is not that no. common. and And sometimes there's a lack of insight, especially if you are you're in a situation where you've been disempowered, right? They've, they've gone through this kind of traumatic situation of, of probably being arrested and going to court. I don't know if anybody's ever served on jury duty, but I have, and it seems like it would be like a really <laughs> traumatic thing to have been arrested, to go through, you know, to stand trial. So to think that someone would retain the insight to know okay, well, I still need to keep myself structured and I still need to make sure I have some good habits while I'm in prison so that I can reintegrate myself when I get out. It's, it's, it's a lot to ask of an individual. So I think that making sure that there's some access to services. And teaching them how to be a self-starter. That's one thing that Miguel have that was that a lot of people don't have is that inner intrinsic motivation to change. Right, right. I think he and like his dad. He, yeah. He learned a lot of it from his dad. And and I think that that made a big difference. And and not everybody has someone, like you said, to, to inspire them. If Miguel could, yep. you know. But that's where coaches. Or a coach, then they could see that there's someone like me, right? Yeah. That did yeah. it. So it's like that representation piece of that it's someone like me, not just this, you know, professor, doctorate person coming in and telling me all these things that they've read, but it's someone who's actually experienced it. 
Well, he oh. not too long ago, he told me a story of like, he went to go get gas at a gas station. It was quite inspirational. And I guess um, somebody approached him at the gas station, but approached him in a way where he was kind of guarded. And it was some man who was just like, you know, uh, hey, I'm trying to, uh, I can use a couple of bucks or whatever, you know, food. I have a family and I'm trying to get back on my feet. And then um, he looked at the guy he saw and, you know, again, this is the power of intuition and the power of like, you know, positive energy. He saw him. He saw like, you know what? He he basically said, go inside, go get what you need and I'll pay for it. And then the guy was like shocked. And this homeless man was shocked. He's just like, yeah, you know, thanks. Thanks. So they actually had a conversation and they ended up like realizing they both were in the same prisons. Wow. Oh. Yeah. And, um, and then the, the homeless man was just like, you know, you really inspired me today because if you can do it, I can do it. And then, um, yeah, Miguel was just like, you absolutely can do it. You just need to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. And people need to hear that. That, that was very inspiring. I, I, I do wonder and hope that, that um, the man is now good and he now has a job and it's stable and overall he's making a better life for himself. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, th- this was fairly recent, so I, I mean, that just that conversation alone is yeah. a start, right? It's a start in the right direction. So this is well, where also, I- if, if there becomes some type of, you know, support system out there, he could have referred the guy. You know, there's, you know, here I know of a support. I mean, that's the sad thing is if there was a support system, you know, he could have actually referred the guy to the support system but there isn't you know unfortunately very slim to none but you know he basically said it all starts with you and wanting to do it and you know if you ever if i ever come across you again i you know i'm happy to give you um you know tell you my story because miguel had to go right so um but he's like it, it it starts with you know, you saying and doing every day, I'm going to do it. I'm going to change my life. And, um, but that little piece of information alone can change anybody's world, anybody's life, not just someone who's an ex-con or post-incarcerated, right? right? Oh, for sure. For sure. So... Unfortunately, I actually have to step out. I'm sorry. Uh, No, but you guys continue on. I'm sorry. I actually have to step out. Oh, that's okay. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye, Bye, Jay. Nice to. Yeah, you guys too. Yep. We'll talk soon. Thank you again. All right. See you later. Um, I mean. That's pretty much, I mean, the reason why I wanted to do this podcast, because I feel like this is an an area that one is taboo to many of us rehab, you know, therapists don't really know. It's just a small underground job. (laughs) 
And I feel like that we can really, we really need to, as OTs, start promoting outside our comfort zone. Yes. It's going to be necessary for us to maintain kind of our value in healthcare. You know, the, the jobs are not coming the way that they used to. We're going to have to start creating them and... Oh, yeah, yeah, it was definitely expand for sure. Expanding, there's a lot of um, expanding is definitely going to need to be done because, like you said, you know, we're we're sort of getting diminished these days, yeah. which is unfortunate. We're losing our value. We're losing our um, voice. We're losing. Uh, I can go on and on, but <laughs> I I. I I no longer want us to feel like we have no hope in keeping OT alive because we do. We just need to reinvent the wheel a little bit and expand. But um, and I hope new grads who hear this can, you know, understand that um, it is possible to think outside the box, even though you don't have experience. It's all about networking and researching and having that positive mindset. So, but um, we're, we're, we're looking to the new grads and we're counting on them to, um, to inspire us a little bit. And I, and I do see that a lot of the OT students and the, and the new grads have some good ideas. They have great ideas. And in fact, all of this was me just talking to new grads and mentoring in my way and, you know, throwing out my own frustrations out in the virtual world. And a lot of them would come to me and, and talk to me about saying, hey, I, even something as starting a Instagram was like totally mind-blowing for me because I'm such an old-school OT veteran. I'm like smack <laughs> in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. We're both smack in the middle. Yes, yes, we are. Yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm ancient. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you are the best ancient person I've ever met, Donna. So, <laughs> yeah, I uh, no, I do have Instagram because of my kids, but that's the only reason because <laughs> of my kids. Otherwise, I would never know it existed. Believe me. That's funny. But you know, the fact that I was talking to all these new grads and people who just freshly graduated, and people like BJ, and I was like. He's, they're right. Why don't I start something? So I started, that's how I started um, this whole concept of being an entrepreneur. I started with Instagram and I, and it's, if anybody wants to add me, I'm spilling the OT, <laughs> but, um, and it was even something as simple as those OT memes that we see, you know, but it's impacted all of us. And now, oh, for yeah. sure. Till now, guess what, ladies? Just knock on wood. And but I, I just got my first email from a parent who's concerned about her kid, and she wants my help. So I'm going to be launching my very first client. Hopefully, knock on wood. Oh, oh, that is so exciting! <laughs> oh my gosh! From out of the box solutions. So I'm super excited. I'm starting this journey. I still have a long road ahead, but. I am so, one, proud of myself, and two, 
Oh my god! But that you know that it's, it takes that first one to start. Yeah, with, yeah. You know? And um, just having I went through a real hard time with the whole career thing. I really thought I was gonna have to end it. You know, just all the hard work that we put in. I thought I would have to change my careers. And many, there's quite a few OTs out there who did. They literally was like, oh yeah. I, I see that a lot on the geriatric website there. A lot, a lot of therapists leaving, you know. But it's not because they really want, never want to be an OT. They just don't feel that they can, there's anything out there for them anymore. Which is, oops, sorry. I just dropped. I was taking an aspirin. No, that's um, all right. Yeah, I got some muscle cramps. But um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really sad because it's not that they want to do that. It's just they feel they have no option. And that's really sad. Right. You know? And but there is options. And I, I, this is where I want my voice and my own like, podcast to show people out there that we do have options. We just have to work at it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and there's a lot of different areas that really have been um, tapped by OT that, you know, that PTs are doing some things, but OTs could also do the same thing. There's some areas, you know, there's all kinds of new treatments and, you know, stuff out there that PTs are doing, but there's no reason OTs can't do that, too. Of course, know? yeah. So, you know, they, you know, they need to look into the where they can get certifications and different things. I was just talking you know? to a PT yesterday and so her specialty is pediatric pt right but she said i really want to open up a pd gym but just solely work on kids work them out have a gym for kids with disabilities well that's smart yes i was just like oh my god you have something that can be very like promising and abundant and uh, I was just like, and how cool would it be if you were to just like rent out a, an area to an OT, to a speech therapist, to, um, you know, personal trainer to help you to help make this gym grow. So we were like totally brainstorming last night. <laughs> Yeah, but that would make sense because if you're, you know, doing a gym for kids with disabilities, I mean, you would have, it would be good to have all that input, you know, fine motor, gross motor, you know, with therapy. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, definitely. And nursing on board, like having a nurse on board and maybe even like a neurologist or it's kind of like building a wellness center as I was, I think I've expressed that to you that girls before, so ladies before. So it can happen. And well, you know, it's the the wellness centers are a good place to tap for a lot of things. Actually, um, I know a, I, I recently met a PT. She's a pelvic, uh, a bladder PT, pelvic floor they call it, you know, PT, uh -huh. but she does bladder training, and that's very unique. There's not very many of them out there, and she wants to do like you. She reminded me of you. She's um, from around here. She wants to do. She decided she's going to try to start doing cash pay, so she's going to do it. She has a full-time yeah. job and she's going to do that yeah. on the side just to see if it works. And she was a, you know, she found a wellness center that was excited to have her there. And she's going to, you know, rent some space and try to branch out, you know, doing cash pay, but wellness centers, because most wellness centers are all cash pay. Yeah. So, you know, that's sort of the place to start things 
is, you know, if you can find a wellness center in some space or next door to a wellness center, you know, in the same building, I mean, that's a great way to branch out, you know? Yeah, I'm, that is a goal of mine. And using the spiritual um, work that I've done, like spiritual coaching, life coaching, relationship coaching, parent coaching, and um, bringing that piece into it. And, um, you know, the whole tarot thing that I do as well, because these visual tools have helped many people. So that's what I want to do. That's my goal. But right now, I am just happy that I got my Oh, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, and that person, then, then you have that first person that is going to refer you, you know, to someone else. Yeah. And yeah. then it just starts, then it'll blossom, you know. And it's funny because she, they did have an OT. This family does have an OT, but this OT is not thinking outside the box, right? Which well, is why it just I'm like, like psychotherapy. Oh, right. Isn't, isn't it just kind What's of like that? psychotherapy? I would say that OT is similar to psychotherapy where there needs to be a good fit with the personality of the OT yes. and the and the dynamics oh, of the for family. Sure. For sure. Oh, 100%. That's why, especially with children, if you don't click with a child, mm-hmm. forget it. You know, they're not going to do anything for you. Exactly. That's why it's so, and this is where I feel like insurance box us in because we're kind of forced to deal with people that may not enjoy us and vice versa. And we need to look at our own self-care needs too. If we're not feeling safe or, you know, protected from whatever company we work for, you know, it's like being forced to work with people that we just don't blend or mesh with. So, um, but yeah, she, like, I had a small conversation with this parent and her child does have like executive functioning issues and stuff like that and emotional dysregulation. And I just started brainstorming and she's just like, well, I never really thought of that. And I'm like, did your OT, is your current OT like, look, she needs to think outside of, you know, what she knows and that's building a rapport with you guys. And then she's just like, oh, my God, no. She's never even asked us and discussed any of this with us. That's so, uh, but that's the thing. These OT, us OTs need to, like, learn how to not be afraid to talk to our our parents or clients well, or caregivers. You need to make a training for OTs on how to talk to Oh, parents. yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Uh, well, thanks, Amanda, for getting me. <laughs> I'm like, great, I have more work to do, but yeah. Right? That's how it works. That's how service goes. There's always more work to do. Well, especially, you know, if you, if you do workshops on how to talk to parents, also you can do workshops for parents with kids with disabilities and that's a good way to get some business because if you do workshops and they come to them and you know you can talk about how therapy you know different things that they can do and how 
you're a, a OT who works privately with you know kids, you might get some business. Well, so here's the thing: is what I really want to do as well is I'm trying to get to other to preschools as well and offer my services. But I um, I'm very adamant about teaching these um, facilities, these preschool directors, that OT and speech and PT can actually collaborate and coach, whether it's telehealth coaching, you know, having a workshop um, on, you know, Q&A as well, you know, questions and answers, but getting them to open up and um, let us know their frustrations or their concerns, but, and then giving them, um, you know, parenting tips or, um, sensory tips or even like um, behavior tips and um, and make them accountable as well not only in the preschool but at home mm-hmm. yeah I think that's great that's a lot of what we do at my program uh, that it's it's based on a university so I know that we have a lot more resources than some other programs have but that's that's our model is that we we not only educate the children, you know, they have a very structured program when they come to school, but we have parent sessions where we're trying to train the parents and then we're having support groups where the parents can just talk to each other and, and kind of get out their frustrations mm-hmm. and even sibling groups, right? Because that's, that's another issue too, the siblings. Yes. Yeah. But, and even, I think this goes in any setting, like the prison system, coaching them on what to expect once they get out of, you know, prison. That that school director needs to realize the service that they're providing, right? That that they're they're kind of uniquely positioned, especially at that time, right? It's preschool. The kids are really young. These are usually new parents. They need help. Yeah, yeah, realizing yeah. what our role really yeah. is yeah. instead of it's, it's not babysitting. I think a lot of people think about it as like, oh, it's just school. It's just babysitting. And they and they have one track mind. But nope. we can really help these parents, help these families. I agree. Yeah. And so much, so many kids nowadays have problems, too. It's unfortunate. I mean, they probably did years ago, but now. Even with the you know, health and us kind really of being realize. able to see and, into the homes, is that I think that sometimes parents are a little bit embarrassed and they're a little bit, uh, they yeah. have a little bit of shame about speaking up about what's going on at home. This is true. This is true, and that, other that, kids, and um, like, well, my kid doesn't do that, or, or this kid talks, and my kid doesn't talk, and how come he's potty trained and mine isn't, and it's just all of. Them. Oh yeah, that's a that's a big one with parents. It's, you, I remember my kids were little. I mean, people. There were some people that were oh, it's such a big. You know, my kids potty trained when they were one and a half years old. <laughs> of course, they were putting them on the toilet every you know two hours, but. <laughs> Yeah, potty, you know, all that stuff where parents feel, and then they start pressuring the kid, and the kid ends up with problems. Mm-hmm. But um, well, yeah. um, we kind of went off topic with the whole prison system, yeah. but that's okay. <laughs> I, and I feel like this is something that we need to talk about on our next podcast, you know, parent coaching and, and 
our role with, um, you know, patient, parent, and caregiver yeah. education. So, but, um, you know, going just to wrap up, because we're almost at the one hour mark, but, uh, you know, any anything else that you ladies feel like that OTs can um, teach um, as far as with the home prison system and I think it's just all it it all goes back to I just, just just very basic OT things of you know roles and habits and routines and kind of the, the power of positive thinking like you said yeah you know like you said you know learning teach you know learning how to schedule and you know deal with functioning in society and functioning you know take on a day-to-day basis, um, making sure that, you know, they're taking care of themselves and, you know, not finding ways or, or also knowing the uh, resources out there, you know. That and um, a big thing for me, what I can see myself actually helping a lot and doing is family dynamic as well. Children and, and the husbands and wives and even divorcing, um, can play a big impact on, you know, even ADL self care and IADLs and all their roles and habits and stuff like that. So I think we can really help a family out with people who have been incarcerated and are trying to get back to some sort of normalcy. Oh, definitely. I mean, I suspect, you know, there's a high divorce rate among people that have been incarcerated, you know, for a long period of time, there must be, I don't know the statistics, but I'm guessing there's a high, but you know, the fa- like you said, nobody, you know, the families expect them to come back and just be the same person yep. they were. Obviously they're not. That's be, what, you know? that's when Miguel told me, he was just like, yeah, my whole family thought I was going to be like I was back. Like that was 10 years ago and I'm not the same person. And that was hard on my family. And my kids, they didn't understand. And they're so used to me not being there. So me trying to be a dad was, um, they didn't know how to handle it. And I didn't know how to handle it. Like we didn't have external help to keep our family um, together. So I really do see us um, helping. We can help in that manner as OTs. But um, that's it on my end. You know, I want to thank you ladies for again coming and supporting this podcast with me. Thank you for keeping energy going. You're welcome. Actually, I have a question for you. Um, The question is, so when you, when you do these podcasts, you, you know who is listening, right? I mean, you can you email them? So are you able to let them know when the next podcasts are? So I don't have that access. I just see like how many people have viewed it, how many people oh. are have followed my channel. So right now I'm almost at 140 plays, which wow. I'm amazed and grateful. So thank you to everybody who's listening and following me. I have 14 followers. I hope that would increase a little bit more, but you know, um, with time, but the fact that, um, 
you know, I even had people on Facebook. I will network or, you know, share. So if you girls, uh, ladies are able to share on the podcast, whether it's via text or your own Facebook page, that would just make it grow. Yes, I believe I have it, a link on my website. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so um, thank you, man. I appreciate that. But um, I don't have access to a way of finding out who's listening, you know, verbatim, like, you know. I just know there's this amount of people listening. You know what we would have to probably do, and I think BJ mentioned it, one of those – um, live, like the Instagram live or the Facebook lives where yeah. people can request to to join the conversation because that's happened. I've joined one of those before. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. That's okay. I'm, I would love to do that. So if you ladies are down to do that as well and um, sure, that would be great. You know, we can sit and um, ask like quick Q and A questions, right? Right. And just kind of. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That would be nice. So it's kind of like being on yeah. a panel. Also, it might be a way to get ideas of um, subjects that people might be interested in. Yeah. Being addressed. Yeah, 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 for sure. Some people are on, on my OT advocacy group. It's quiet. I don't have a lot of people opening up, but. And a lot of, I know a lot of people are afraid to speak up, you know, so they'll private message me. I've gotten quite a few ladies, new grads who have been, um, one lady last week or a week before that, she's just like, I've been out of, I've been a new grad for six, seven months now and haven't found a job and I have to go back to serving tables. That's what she said. So... Yeah, well, I think it's tough because it depends where you live, what area, right? You know, part of the country you're in, or what state, or you know, like if you're in New York City, there's tons of jobs. It sounds like from what VJ says, but um, there's some areas that are just you know infilled. Where we are out here, they're saturated. True schools, but there, I mean, there there's sick people everywhere. There's people who need um, assistance everywhere. It's just not enough. Uh, you know, exposure. So even if New York versus, let's say, Kentucky, there's still that networking needs to be equally important in all those smaller towns. Yeah, and that that makes sense. You know, I mean, there might be jobs that they don't. Being a new grad too, sometimes it's hard to search out jobs. I think you know, like nowhere to look because. Nowadays, everything's online, but there's nothing wrong with walking into it. Exactly. Or, or doing volunteer. I mean, the big thing is, you know, get do some volunteer work somewhere that has therapists. And eventually, you may get a job. And this is where I feel like veteran OTs or entrepreneurial OTs can, should branch out and find new grads who are looking for a job, such as, like, even with admin work, you know. <laughs> but. Right, right. Or scoring assessments or just that extra hand they could pay for. Right, right. So it's out there. We just need to dig deep. And, and again, I keep saying that, but think outside our comfort zone. Uh, right. 
but it's out there. But anyways, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Um, All right. Well, thank you very no, much. No, thank you. And uh, I'll touch base with you ladies soon. And we'll, we'll, maybe we'll do the next one we'll do is a Q&A on Instagram. All right. So let's, let's discuss that real right. soon. Yeah, that would be fun. That sounds good. Okay, ladies, you have a good rest of the day. And thank you again. Okay. You too. And everybody yeah. stay healthy. We we'll do. <laughs> now that we're right. heading back indoors. Ugh. At least, well, actually we are. You yeah. guys aren't probably. <laughs> I am <laughs> with the being up here. But anyways, everybody take All care. Right. Uh, nice to talk to you. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon.